You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest at 49 was chronically depressed, overweight and grief-stricken after the deaths of five family members, three friends and a cat, all within a 12-month period. As she sat on her living room sofa, she saw a social media post about a high school friend who was about to start the interval training program, Couch to 5K, which prompted her on her own fitness journey. Please welcome to the show, Nita Sweeney. How are you, Nita? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks oh, so much. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I just find I find your story and the the actual journey so inspiring because, really, it it it. I'm even. I'm sure it wasn't simple, but it sounds so simple for someone to to start. Well, couch to my five k um, makes it pretty simple, but you know, people ask me all the time, "How do you get started?" and The truth is that I just had to be at a place where um, I was completely ready. And that, that's not something you can give someone. I don't know. You know, I just was at a place where when I saw her post, I wanted to do something different. And um, it wasn't the first time someone had said that exercise was helping them. Um, It wasn't, you know, the first person who'd taken up running or any other kind of exercise. It, it just happened to be the right day. And actually the day I saw her post, I didn't immediately launch into, you know, this training program. In fact, uh, in the, um, the book I wrote about it, it mentions that I um, um, had a long bout of hiccups that reduced me to tears. And it was so bad that I just went back to bed. So it was actually a couple more months before I uh, was prompted to start running. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, even myself, like I've, I only really picked up exercise when I was probably late thirties, uh, you know, mid to late thirties. And I found a passion for running and I, I was running, you know, 10 K a day every day when I lived in Sydney, then I met my husband and, um, I moved here to Adelaide and, I didn't find it as an inspiring place to run because in Sydney, it's a beautiful city and there's lots of everything's sort of connected. So you can go on these amazing 10 K journeys and you're looking at the most beautiful scenery of, you know, cityscapes to water, to beautiful parks where here it's a little bit more disjointed and, and where I am is sort of right near the city. So all I would see really are cars and smog and stuff like that. So I've dropped it down to 3K <laughs> and um, I've also just found that I've, as I've gotten older, the injuries that are constantly happening. Um, so I've decided to, even if I just walk, I'm happy even if I just walk. There's no just about it. The fact that you're moving at all is phenomenal. You know, there's a mm. lot of science behind walking as probably the best exercise because of the lower rate of injury. I've been really fortunate, despite having some injuries, I've been able to come back. Um, But, you know, a lot of people end up taking up cycling or doing other exercise classes. And I I just think whatever you can do to move the body, um, maybe break a sweat. I mean, it's all it's all good. And I, I really understand that whole idea that, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice to be able to run someplace where the scenery is gorgeous. Yeah, and I, yeah I, definitely. Uh, I live in a, a, you know, to me, it's the place I live is very beautiful. I live in central Ohio in the United States, and uh, we have these 
long, wide rivers. There's two, the Olentangy and the Scioto, and uh, there are trails along those rivers. And it's, you know, you can be right downtown and the next thing you're in the forest practically. Yeah, it's, wow. It's lovely. Yeah, amazing. so I'm very, very fortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd say take the just out of that and say, hey, I am walking, I am running, I am moving. Mm. Um, it all counts. And I think that that's what a lot of people have to remember because, you know, I think that even the fittest people, we always go through, you know, times in our lives where things just don't gel and we we maybe not exercising and looking after ourselves as well as, we, as we're used to doing. Um, and I think that we're really hard on ourselves and that then just sort of adds the pressure to do something, which then, you know, it, it, it just basically sort of adds to almost the depression around it. Absolutely. The judgment is, um, <clears throat> can be my worst enemy. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a person who is just generally anxious. I have uh, chronic depression. I'm bipolar. Um, but depression and anxiety are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm. Uh, so that anxiousness, um, if I can't run for a while, my brain starts in with the anxiety because I'm not running to burn off the anxiety and then the depression creeps back in. And so very soon, I mean, just a few days of not exercising and my brain is saying, well, that was fun. You know, you had a good run, um, time for crochet. Not that there's anything wrong with crochet, but it's (laughs) it's as if my brain just decides that I'm done. I've actually, um, have been, I had a virus um, and haven't been able to run for over two weeks now. And I really have had to just use a lot of positive self-talk, do some journaling, talk to my friends, mm. uh, talk to my therapist, you know, that uh, I will get back to running. It will be fine. Um, but sometimes your body needs to rest. And whether that's a physical injury or a cold or, um, you know, sometimes life gets in the road. I think um, that's half the problem too, is that we, we allow ourselves and, and that self-talk is where, you know, we're guilting ourselves and making ourselves feel bad about not going and running, especially when we are sick or injured. Um, and you really want to get back to it. But in the same token, if you were to go back to it too soon, you're only going to be off again for several weeks because you've just gone back too early. And I think that that's something that we've really got to get into our heads that, you know, it's okay to not do it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's better. I mean, I like to, to talk about taking a long view mm. that, um, okay, I can't run today. I might not run next week, but I want to be running 10 years from now. Exactly. Um, you know, I want to be winning my age group when I'm 90 just because I showed up. <laughs> I mean, <frankly. laughs> um, and so I have to think that, but it's it, because I have an anxious mind. And I think, I think running draws people who have a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of Well, that I do. Nervous. I mean, I have anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely, nervous energy. I mean, I love the fact that it also strips weight off me, but at the same yes. time, it is just so good for my mind. I love what it does for my mind. That's my big plus going back to what you were just talking about being able to run when you're at that age you've also done three full marathons 27 half marathons and have more than 90 short races to go what i've already done (laughs) yeah (laughs) wow that's incredible i've never even done one marathon yet 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 Yet. exactly so tell us about Um, that how did that all sort of start well, this is another one of my little sayings I stole from someone that 
if you hang around in a barbershop long enough, eventually you're going to get a haircut. Mm. And so I joined a running group. And when you hang around with people who regularly run two, three, four half marathons a year, one full a year, or maybe one every other year, or sometimes three or four a year, um, you know, you start to question what you thought about yourself. You start to question in a good way. And a lot of the limits that I thought I had, um, you know, I look around at these people, there's a, a chapter in, um, in my memoir where I'm sitting at dinner after my first half marathon with this whole group of um, probably 30 people who are in just my pace group because we have a huge running group. So fortunate. And I look over and I realize that the woman sitting across from me, who is, she's a little younger than I am, um, about my size. And, uh, you know, I've sort of noticed her, but her medal was a different color than mine. <laughs> and I realized she had run the full. Wow. And I hadn't paid, you know, I'd been running with some other people that were, um, you know, training for the half. And I hadn't really paid attention to the fact that all this season, she too was out there with me, just like me. And, uh, and that, I just had that kind of mind blown, I mean, it's very stereotypical, yeah. but moment of thinking, if she can do it, so can I. And then I sort of set that aside for a while. And then gradually, this friend, then that friend, then this other friend said, hey, we're going to train for the, um, the full marathon, the Columbus Marathon. And, you know, nobody was putting any pressure on me. But again, um, watching other people do something, normal people, people mm. my age, my size, you know, people that I can relate to yeah. do these incredible things. It, it just transformed my mind. And uh, so that's how it started. And then um, I did one and then I did the next year and then I took a couple years off. And again, a group of people said, hey, uh, we're thinking about doing this marathon. And, and uh, so once again, I thought, well, I've done two you know, the second one I had to do because I thought the first one might be a fluke, you know, so it's like you had to prove it. Um, but then the third one, I was like, okay. So, um, yeah, but the, the 28 halves, uh, it's actually it's 28 now, um, um, the, that started because I wanted to do one in each of the 50 states of the United States. Oh, how cool. So, yeah, so I'm up to 18 states, and I was, I was sort of chugging along with three or four half marathons in a, each in a different state, and then, uh, and then I got the book contract, and, um, and that, uh, in a very, very happy way, sidelined things, because I yeah. really had to, had to just, you know, knuckle down, and, and, you know, you write the book, and then you have to market it, yeah, um, yeah. and so it's been lovely, fabulous, uh, so I hope to get back on track to uh, do more of the, um, uh, the 50 states and then the shorter races, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks. Again, I'm in this running group where people are running all these races and they, you know, someone will say, Hey, are you doing the 4th of July race? And hey, are you doing the, you know, the dog rescue race? Or <laughs> hey, this one's to raise money for children's services, you know. And yeah. so pretty soon, uh, you've got these, you got too many medals to fit on your wall. What an incredible way to see the states, too. But, you know, having yes. a little run through each city, that's, that's actually a beautiful way to see the place. And we, um, um, I'm very, very lucky also to have a husband who really supports my running. And so what, what we do is um, um, we try to go places where he has something of interest. So we went through 
I can't remember how many we've done now, but uh, in in United States we have the presidential libraries. So each president, after they're uh, no longer in office, has a library, and we've oh. gone to. I think we only have two left, so however many there are. Um, but what we would do is um, I'd find a race that was within you know driving distance of a library and then go to that race and then go to the presidential library. And so mm. it made it fun for him too. Yeah. It's funny how, um, going back to your point before, it's funny how that works with people. It's sort of when I first went skiing, I actually hated it. I found it <laughs> extremely scary I was in all of these clothes that I felt like literally a Michelin man. And I was just, and where we were, it was in Queenstown, New Zealand. And on, you know, even on some of the smaller, easy slopes, there's no fencing. You know what I mean? And I just thought to myself, if I take a wrong move, I'm off the edge of a cliff, literally. Um, and the thing with me is I was going back and going always onto the little kiddie slope the, the, where you learn as a child. And I would like look around and I think, yeah, and I'd like look around and I'd be thinking, well, if these kids can do it, so can I. And I think about that with everything now, you know what I mean? Like, and I think you've also got to have in the back of your mind, especially when you're doing maybe more terrifying things like, you know, bungee jumping or jumping out of a plane or stuff like that. I always get into my head. I think to myself, well, if I die right now, at least I was doing something that was, you know, fun and something I've never done in my life before. And I pushed myself to that point. That's how I think. Because I think that sometimes in life we, we don't take enough chances. And I think that it's, it, it can change our lives if we do. Well, I'm not going to do the bungee jumping thing <laughs> and I'm not quite going to go, you know, the perfectly good jumping out of a perfectly good airplane, but I do know, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I do know that part of the way I managed my anxiety with running was realizing um, it was bridges. Mm. So I had a fear of running over bridges. I had a fear of driving over bridges, running over bridges. Wow. And, um, and so I had to desensitize myself. Mm. Um, so there was no thought of if I die, I'm going to be, you know, that I'm doing what I love. That's not the way I think. It was more about having to change this fear so that I didn't wind up back in my house, yeah. unable to leave my house. Cause I had a period of time where I had agoraphobia and I had trouble leaving my house and that still, that comes back sometimes. And I, um, um, some, there are days when I have to kind of force myself to leave my house, but, um, Mostly it's good. And so I <clears throat> was on a trip with my husband. I think we were in Iowa and there were all, no, it was Matt, Madison. I forget. Anyway, we were in this town where there were all these bridges. They weren't big bridges, but they were enough to scare me. And I just stood on one side of the bridge and I thought, if I don't cross this bridge, pretty soon I won't be able to cross the little tiny bridges in my neighborhood mm. that are already fine, you know, that I can do just fine, that I have to face this fear. So that's, that's more of it with me. And now it's exciting. I mean, it's very funny because there was a time when driving on the freeway was terrifying. And uh, my husband had to do pretty much all the driving and he's from Los Angeles. And oh, so we traveled there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, he, we traveled there to visit his mother and uh, we also uh, this year went to the Bay Area, which is bridges just like crazy. Yeah. And um, 
really from doing the little bridge training with the running and then my own form of little desensitization um, by driving like from one exit ramp to another on the highway, I've gotten to the place that I can drive with no problem. And I was driving all over LA and, you know, San Francisco and um, just with no problem. But it's more, it's more for me about realizing that if I don't face the fear, I'm going to end up paralyzed again. And I've been paralyzed and I don't want to ever go back there. Um, but yeah, I'm never going to jump out of a perfectly good plane. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think I will ski. either, but yeah. uh, you know. I did uh, the skiing thing. I, um, um, I did that a couple times and it just, um, I just have the worst balance. I mean, I just, I just have horrible balance, but it seems very exciting and it seems, you know, interesting and fun and but i'm probably going to be the kind of person who's in the ski lodge you know with the hot cocoa and the marshmallows (laughs) that's much more my speed i've gotten to the point where i've sort of gone up from the kids level um and i'm now on a like an adult slope but i just that's i'm happy with that sure it's not a very long ski down but that suits me fine you know my husband and all of our friends and stuff will go up on the other ones where i'm like i'll just stay here i'm happy to be right here where i feel safe at least i'm still skiing (laughs) <laughs> yes. I mean, I think that's fantastic that you mm. did that. I mean, I would, I never got off the bunny slope. I just was there with the kids and that was well, it. I'd still I go definitely... down there. What I do is I actually go there first and work my ah. confidence up to go back up to where I've, I've gone before. So I always still go back to the kiddie slope. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's desensitization. That's yeah. it right there. You start with what, you know, what is easy. So you don't, otherwise you freak out exactly, and then you're exactly. really messed up. <laughs> that's it. This is Ant's Talk. Now, another thing that's just absolutely blows my mind about you, you've done a journalism degree, a law degree, you're a practicing attorney, and you've, had, you've actually written 10 books, which one was also published. Where do you find the time? <laughs> well, um, I am no longer practicing, so that's oh, okay. part of it. Yes, yes, I, I'm not sure if I made that clear. I practiced law for 10 years. And I had a um, a nervous breakdown, major depressive episode is the correct, you know, the technical term. And it was, um, it was as if kind of like all the sprockets and screws popped out and we could never quite get them back where they were. Mm. So I have not been able to practice law for many years. And, um, and I really haven't been able to hold a regular job, you know, outside my house. So I've had a lot of time, but I have tried to write. And um, because of the depression, I mean, that, that's been actually part of the amazing part of the story is that I have written these first, second, third, fourth, fifth drafts of these other books. I've tried to get uh, two of them. I tried to get published before. Uh, one I took through MFA school. and um, was not able to find a publisher for. And it wasn't until, um, it seems like three things had to happen. One, I had to find a story that had enough dimensions. So when I first started um, writing this, I thought I was writing about, you know, kind of like middle-aged woman gets off sofa, loses weight, runs marathon. (laughs) Um, But the more I dove into it and the more I ran, I realized that it was actually more of a mental health story Mm. because it was the depression that was lifting. And that's when I really knew I had a story. When people started to say to me, 
something's different about you. And they would say things like, uh, the course would ask me if I'd lost weight, which I had, um, but they would say, you know, things like, did you get it? Did you change your hair? Did you color your hair? Or you know, it was, they couldn't quite place what it was about me that was different. Um, but I had more energy. I had more focus. I had more mm. drive. And I still have good days and bad days. Um, but so that that combination of finding a story, having the layer of the running with the mental health, and then having the focus and energy um, to go deep enough in the story. Um, to make it good enough to be published. And then the timing of the world suddenly, you know, giving a darn about mental yeah. illness, which I, they always have to a certain extent, but it's, it's become oh, a it's thing. Oh, it's really come out now. Yeah. And, um, and then this publisher, Mango Publishing, um, is relatively new. And so they came on the scene um, and were ready for me. So it's like, I was ready for them. They were ready for me. The story was ready. Um, I was ready to, to focus enough to do the work. All these things had to create, you know, the, I feel like I'm using a lot of cliches, but kind of that perfect storm mm. for it all to come together. And, um, and yeah, and it feels very much, uh, my editor is a woman named Brenda Knight. And I was, I just think of her as like my fairy godmother, because it just felt like she sort of appeared out of nowhere and bam, mm. I had a book deal. So, and it wasn't like that. I, I pitched it for a long, long time. I pitched a, 108 agents and 134 publishers. And I entered a ton of contests. I was just very determined and I was ready to self-publish. Yeah. Um, I was starting to research that. And, uh, and then she emailed me and said, Hey, we want to move forward. So, wow. um, and they've been moment. great. I mean, they, you know, they have just been so supportive. Um, Mango does, uh, they do online marketing. They don't do, you know, um, uh, um, there's very few publishers that will send you like on a huge book tour. I did that yeah. myself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's been phenomenal. And I'm, I'm a very driven person who has mental health issues. So I have to be very, very careful to focus my drivenness in a healthy way, or mm. I will do self-destructive things. And um, so I've been very fortunate to be able to keep writing and meditating and now running um, cause that's, that's a way to stay focused. So yeah, yeah I'm, I, I just, I'm so grateful. I just can't, tell you how grateful I am. It's funny, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm a true believer that I think every human is capable of having mental health issues. I don't think that it's something that sort of, you know, is, is for some people and not for others. I just think it's circumstance. It's, it's, you know, opportunities in life. It's, it's a lot of things that come into it. And some people are just very lucky. And they don't go through circumstances in their life where they can go down that road. Do you know what I mean? But I think that we're all capable of it. And I, you know, I know myself, I mean, I've had my dark days and still continue to. Um, but I love that we've gotten to a time in 2020 now that it's becoming a lot sort of more easier for people to talk about their situations and then you know the people that are listening can then go well actually that sounds like me too and then it allows them to tell their story and I think that the more that we are open about it the more that we do talk about it just normally because it is is just like any other illness you know we're all susceptible to it um, I think it's just going to make this world a much better place well that's my hope I saw um I think it was a meme about a man talking to his son about um, finding a doctor for his brain 
and he was talking about his mood, you know, not mm. like a neurosurgeon, but a therapist or a psychiatrist. And, um, and then it said, you know, just like I would talk about any health issue because it is just any health issue. Yeah. And that's part of what has been surprising about um, the book coming out is I've kind of wound up accidentally becoming this sort of mental health advocate. That wasn't, um, I mean, I think it was in the back of my mind, but that wasn't my plan. Mm. And I just feel now that it's so important to talk about it because there's a spectrum. I mean, everybody has good days and bad days, um, but not everybody wants to kill themselves. No. Um, you know, people have bad days and can still show up for work. And then there's people that have bad days and they can't show up for work. Exactly. But it's it's a it's sort of a spectrum and it's, you know, rolls up and down. And so I just think the more we talk about it, normalize it, and um, also, you know, in, a, in the United States, especially the issue of access to mental health care is huge um, because there's not, um, it, it depends on your plan and where you live as to whether there's parity between physical health and mental health. There's a, uh, not as much access. And so, um, so I just think the more we talk about it and normalize it and because it's, I mean, that's, this is my life and a lot of people I know um, have some level of it. Yeah. And, you know, for that not to be some shameful thing that we all have to hide because people die when they hide this. I mean, that's what happens is people exactly. end up dying. So. And I think also by talking about it and, and people sort of acknowledging it and learning about it, we, we may one day even change, you know, many people's lives that are stuck in homelessness because majority of people I know here in Australia, it's not a, a matter of circumstance. It's, it's due to mental health. Um, some yes. of those people really need help and guidance and they're not being given it. Um, and I think that that is so important. I mean, and I know that it's happening big over in, in the States. I mean, I've just been over myself and when I went to LA and sort of saw the tent cities and stuff like that, I was just horrified. And now they're even talking about um, diseases that we haven't seen in 20 years now being seen in those people purely because they're just not even getting health care. Right. They're not even getting physical health care. Yeah. Nevertheless, any kind of mental health care. Yeah, it's really um, it's at epidemic levels. And, mm. you know, I'm not a I'm not a physician. I'm not a social worker. Um, but if I can lend a voice to say we need to look at this, we need to be awake to this. We, you know, don't turn away. Exactly. Um, that's um, that's I you know, I don't know. I don't know completely the solution, but I um, am open to trying to I think a solution for each person that sees it is that we just need to start being more understanding we need to be more accepting and less judgmental <laughs> yes that's the judgment yes yeah right. and I think that's if we can keep those three things in our heart then hopefully slowly bit by bit the world will change and those sort of people will find the help that they need and we'll be able to provide them a change of life hopefully down the track. Yeah, you you spoke about circumstances before, and that's something that I never want to lose sight of. Is that um, uh, my circumstances allow me uh, to write, allow mm. me to speak, allow me to you know be on a computer with internet access. Exactly. All of that. That's privilege. I mean, it really is. Um, and um, I'm very very aware of that. And with that comes a huge responsibility. And yeah. I never want to lose sight of that.
I mean, I always think each morning I wake up and I have a moving body with working arms, working legs, a working brain, working eyes. Many people don't even have that. Yes. We're extremely blessed just to wake up each day. We really are. Yes. I so, agree. Nina, can you, oh. can you tell us, um, before we, we um, head off, tell us about the book and tell us where we can find it because I'm sure the listeners would be fascinated to actually go and have a look themselves. I love this part of the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so the title of the book is Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running With title. My Dog. Yeah, it's a, it's a saying that I've said for years. Um, I end up with a lot of friends with mental health issues, and you know, we'll call each other, and a friend will call me and say, I can't get out of bed, and we'll remind each other, depression hates a moving target. Just get up, just, mm. you know, just walk across the room. Um, so it seems so fitting with the running. Um, but yes, Depression Hates a Moving Target is the title. Um, it's available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, you know, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, uh, Books a Million, uh, Books and Company. Um, my website is nitasweeney.com. And there's a whole array of buy links there. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and Tantor Media also bought the audiobook rights. So, uh, you know, there's the Kindle book or any kind yeah. of e reader book, plus the audiobook uh, if you want to listen to. Um, uh, I, we have Audible, or uh, you can buy it from the Tantor site too. Uh, it's available on the Mango site. So, mango.bz is their site. Um, but my site's nitasweeney.com. And uh, I assume you'll put some links up to that maybe yeah and uh we can uh, I, that's that's probably the best place to go and then you can choose whichever outlet um suits you mm. uh, it's in some libraries here in the united states so that's kind of fun I, one of my favorite days was when i saw there were 31 holds on 16 copies in uh, the local library so amazing <laughs> I was just, that was probably the, you know, I have lots of reviews on Amazon and, and Goodreads and it's doing well. Um, but to see it in the library was yeah, just sort of, I can imagine. My mind. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an absolute amazing feeling when things like that happen. I mean, I've had a few, not a book, but <laughs> maybe one day, yet, but um, yet. I've got um, sort of, I, I'm an artist and photographer and I've cup artist and I've done many things in my life. And when you do get those opportunities to see, I don't know, to see it in real life and in front of you, how you looked at many other people that did your skill and saw their books or their art or whatever up on the wall and that feeling you had of that hope to one day see it yourself, when you do finally see it, it is exhilarating. <laughs> when, that, <clears throat> when the box of books came to the house, that was... Um, Oh, I can't yeah. even describe it. Just opening that box and holding it in my hands. It was oh, the, you know, I don't, I don't have children, but that was probably the closest thing. <laughs> uh, but it was, That's it's so phenomenal. Beautiful. And I've been, you know, I've been writing for a long time. I have had other, you know, essays and articles published and things, but there's something about a book and I publish a monthly newsletter. It's kind of like a calendar on my website of central Ohio writing events called Right Now Columbus. And so watching other people uh, launch their books and mm. read at bookstores uh, um, has, it's, it's brought me joy to watch other people. But then for me to be the one to say, hey, I'm reading at the book loft. Hey, I'm reading at Gramercy. Hey, I'm, you know, these kinds of things. Um, yeah, it's just dream come true material. I bet. Especially you know, at, at my age at this point too. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a thrill at any age, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. Uh, it would have been younger too, but uh, it was definitely hard won and it feels, feels yeah. pretty good. So, Fantastic. And, uh, Thank you so much, Nita, for talking to me. I really, really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners are going to love listening to your story and also go and have a look at Nita's website because I've had a look myself and there are many links and you've had such an interesting life. You should be so proud. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you again for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much. You too. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.